Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I am a depressed, frustrated and angry Royfield Brown in the Bay Area in the United States. And today I'm joined by Emma Burnell. There's no super K to go with her this week because I'm just too frustrated to even think of one. But she's in London. And also we're done by Doug Levy in Marin County. I've been saying in the North Bay, I've been getting it wrong, haven't I, Doug? Mar- Mar- Marin not. is North Bay, so you are not incorrect. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, somebody did school me on that uh, some time ago and say the North Bay was like um, was further north. But anyway, whatevs. Say hello, folks. Hello, Hi. folks. Listener Philip um, has responded to Ben Jacobs's call on last week's show regarding Jews' allegiance to Israel and Zionism. Royfield, I enjoyed your last episode, and I really appreciated Emma Burnell's response to the caller, Ben someone whose views I obviously disagree very strongly with. I would like to point out that the vast majority of American Jews, at least according to surveys, are very supportive of Israel, irrespective of their views about Israeli government policy. I think Emma Burnell said much more eloquently than I could the situation with anti-Semitism in England, that this is not a smear, this is a real problem within the British Labour Party, and a problem within the Tories, just as in the United States, it's a problem on both the far left and on the far right. I don't know how many more calls we're actually going to get on the, in this long-running thread, uh, which all stemmed from the Chris Williamson interview. Uh, but um, if you would like to respond to anything that you hear on the show, quite simply go into midatlanticshow.com and you'll see a little tab over on the right that is a SpeakPipe app. And basically you hit that and you can record and up to a two minute message. What we're trying to do is to try and foster and build a community of, of, of like minded people throughout the world who uh, like to comment on and have ideas on progressive politics. Why don't you join us by going on to midatlanticshow.com and hitting that speak 
Pipe app. So a few episodes ago, we did a special uh, on the Canadian election, which resulted in um, a hung parliament, but with uh, Justin Trudeau leading a minority government. Here is Laura on the development in Canadian politics this week. Canadians were shocked on hearing the news that Conservative Party leader Andrew Scheer had decided to resign. He had been in a battle to keep his job as leader of the party after the fall election that saw the Trudeau Liberals get re-elected with a minority. And part of what complicated matters was that Andrew Scheer, underneath his leadership, actually managed to get the popular vote and to grow the Conservative caucus by quite a number of seats. So he had technically a good election result, but of course it wasn't enough to oust Trudeau. And Conservatives are known in Canada for their politics of not waiting around too long for their leaders to get it right. In fact, uh, often they don't bother with the uh, stabbing from the back. They come right at you from the front. And we've seen examples in the past where they don't take well to not winning an election, even if the results are technically good uh, from the point of view of gaining seats or gaining votes. So Andrew Scheer was already in jeopardy. It was as though there was a sort of Damocles hanging over his leadership. But what was so shocking was the timing, because most people thought, and even his past statements said that he was going to endure a leadership review in the spring. So when he announced that he was leaving, it was on the same day that there was an article that came out saying that he had used the Conservative Party's funds for his children's private school. And while some people came out to justify that, there were other stories coming out out that people within the party did not know that he was doing that. So it looked as though the timing of that new scandal and his resignation uh, were more than coincidental. There are other theories, of course, that the story was known for a while, but it was it was revealed to the media to push and force his hand to resign. Uh, whatever caused him to do it, ultimately what has happened is that there has been an incredible uh, list of names that have been put forward. People are starting to speculate on who could take up the federal leadership. There are a lot of good quality candidates and there seems to be an overriding assessment that because Andrew Scheer was not from an urban area, he just simply couldn't relate or connect with the large urban votes in the Toronto area, the GTA. And because he was in many ways um, promoting some social conservatism, some, some uh, values that were antithetical to modern Canada. As always, a comprehensive roundup of the movements in Canadian politics. So Laura Babcock, as always, I I doff my cap and salute you for your encyclopedic knowledge of all things going on in the frozen north. Yeah, absolutely. I I learn so much every time Laura's on the show. She is very, very, very good. In a week that has seen England and Scotland both vote for nationalist parties, we ask, where does the 2019 election take the UK and left-wing politics in general? This One Nation Conservative government has been given a powerful new mandate. This is obviously a very disappointing night for the Labour Party. Tonight is terrible. It's horrendous. It's heartbreaking. Jo Swinson has lost her seat in Dumbartonshire East to the Scottish National Party. The most disastrous result for the Labour Party. The worst result since 1935. The Conservatives on 368 seats 
and Labour way down on 191. Boris Johnson has gambled and won. This result is a catastrophe for you, Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party. Emma, the Tories now have a majority of 80. Just what happened last night? I mean, it was just, I mean, everything happened last night, basically. Everything that could possibly have gone wrong for the Labour Party went wrong for the Labour Party. Um, The number one issue on the doorsteps, according to all polling um, and all anecdotal data, is that Corbyn just was completely disliked. Um, And that factored in with Brexit, which um, is a really complicated one because we probably would have lost more seats had we not taken a Remain position because more of our voters would have abandoned us because more Labour voters are Remain than leave. We still lost the difference-making number of voters who were Leave voters in Labour heartlands who uh, combined their distrust and dislike of Jeremy Corbyn with their upset over Labour's position on the on um, Brexit. Uh, and what happened was that we've got a very right-wing Tory government. Normally, uh, when uh, political uh, political leaders leave parties into stunning electoral defeats, they go immediately. Why won't Corbyn go right now? You can ask different people and they'll give you a different answer. My interpretation is that he wants to oversee um, both the post-mortem and the next leadership contest in order to put his thumb on the scale and make sure that you know his his people win it and continue to run the Labour Party into the ground. Doug, what can, if anything at all, what can the Democrats take from uh, this election? What what does what will this inform us about the runners and riders in the Democratic uh, presidential primary race? Is this a lesson to say? Um, your Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are too left wing, etc., etc. Is there anything which uh, you Americans can take from this drubbing that the Labour Party has just uh, experienced in the UK election? If I'm understanding the polling data correctly, this is further evidence that people are perfectly comfortable voting against their actual interests and based more on gut feeling and personality. And I think the American politicians must pay attention because this this does not bode well for the United States. We saw 63 million people vote against their interests for the most part in 2016, and uh, I'm honestly very nervous about the potential for a disaster of our own following the same model that Britain has demonstrated. Emma, um, there was some talk. We had Hugh Grant. There were two or one or two different tactical voting organisations. What happened to tactical voting yesterday? Um, I think it probably had an impact, but not a very big impact. Um, so it may have saved some Labour MPs, which when you think about that and the drubbing that Labour got, the worst since 1935, um, is a terrifying thought. Um, 
on the other hand, I mean, say, take, for example, Canterbury, a seat that I have particular interest in. Um, Rosie Duffy would almost certainly won through tactical um, and retained her seat and, in fact, increased her majority through tactical voting. But it just wasn't enough. Labour were not an attractive enough alternative for people to be able to hold their nose and vote for them. Mm. And and there were different currents, weren't there? If there, if there is a crumb of any kind of uh, good news for the Labour Party, it is that um, the national trend was booked not only in London, but also in the large cities, isn't it? Well, yes. Um, and that is now where Labour lives. But that in itself is a concern because that means that the people who now represent Labour represent those cities to the large extent. I mean, there are obvious alternatives. And that's a bubble. And it's a bubble that Labour have lived in too comfortably for too long. Mm. So is modern left-wing ideology too metropolitan and elitist? Well, I mean, elitist, yes, to an extent. I mean, if you look at the people who are actually in charge, most of them are privately educated. Um, Most of them are very posh. Posh, They're so posh they make me feel common, and I'm perfectly middle class. Uh, in the British way, not in the American way. <laughs> I never understand the difference. Um, but the metropolitan thing is a concern to me because that language denies the poverty that lives in cities. And we just end up talking mm. about poor white people in towns. And as someone was saying to me last night, there is a strong thread growing that just denies that there is poverty in the cities and, and or that black people have a right to an equal right to representation. And actually, we should just be shutting up and talking about, you know, the white votes. It's, it's an interesting point. And I'm going to come back onto this uh, for you, Doug, uh, to talk about uh, the, the Democrats. Uh, but on the on that point, though, about uh, people of colour, don't we have, is it now like 65 members or 64 64 or 65 members of parliament who are going to be people of colour so that seems to be somewhat at variance with what you're saying we can definitely vote in uh muslim pakistani afro-caribbean mps ad nauseum you know a tenth are going to be from ethnic minorities which is not too dissimilar to where they sit in the population of the uk as a whole um but that seems to be seems to be flying in the face of what you're saying, though, Emma. Um, we can elect them within our parties, um, far more than women, frankly, sometimes. Um, we... Record amount of women on this intake, it is just over a third of all MPs. And more than 50% of Labour MPs will be female, which I, I saw that statistic and I was shocked. I mean, yes, but that's because we lost so many MPs. We lost an awful lot of good women MPs. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people who were lost were, were, you know, good, competent women. A lot of people who stayed in were incompetent men. It, but it's not, there's a difference, I think, between those people that we that are chosen by the parties to represent them and those people whose voices are heard. And that's where this this meta-narrative is is worrying me okay Doug let's come back over to you in the good old US of A Democrats some of the Democratic uh, 
presidential hopefuls, uh, some of the bricks thrown at them, is that they are too left-wing. They're not talking about bread and butter issues that regular Americans, which means in the middle of America, um, basically chime with. And the Democratic Party has been called coastal and elitist for at least 10, 15 years. Again, um, looking at what's happened to the Labour Party in the UK, uh, should there be a course correction? Should we be looking at Uncle Joe after all, somebody who the pollsters tell us that has uh, an appeal to middle America and um, stop this flirtation with your Elizabeth Warrens and your Bernie Sanderses? I think part of the issue is that uh, I, I attribute a lot of it just to fundamental communications flaws. I mean, if you look at what Hillary Clinton was actually campaigning on, her policy proposals were absolutely aimed at helping the middle class across the country. And she had very well-developed pro, uh, proposals, well-thought-out policy proposals to address things like the coal miners and factory workers who were being displaced but but no charisma though Doug. right exactly she didn't, you know she did not connect with those voters that's a huge mm-hmm. problem biden has the advantage of already being relatively established with those voters you know he's kind of the stereotypical joe six back in a lot of ways um but i think mm-hmm. he's going to have i mean he's having other issues that i think are going to undercut him um, you know, when you talk about Warren and Sanders, I don't know how much of it is because they are considered too left wing, but I do think the fact that they are associated with that higher education category, you know, folks who, you know, taught law school at Harvard are not seen very well by folks who have not had that kind of a college education. And that's a gap. But those people love a billionaire, though. They love a billionaire, though. They think they do. Well, they, they, they don't think. Or, they, but, <laughs> what, they're, but they're, loving, they're, they're loving the image that is created. And part of the problem with Elizabeth Warren is that she's her image is policy wonk, which I appreciate. But if mm-hmm. somebody who hasn't spent six years studying the policies doesn't understand what she's talking about, that's a problem. All right. So Elizabeth Warren is the policy wonk. Uh, Bernie Sanders is the one trick pony in terms of its uh, Medicare, uh, its universal health care. Uh, what's the problem with him? He's just an angry old lefty. He's, he? yes, I think he comes across very much that way. I think he is, um, you know, he plays into a stereotype of the Northeastern old white man, quite frankly. And that's an mm-hmm. appeal to some people, but I don't think he has been able to break through to others largely because he hasn't made a good case for his other policies. And I think for even for some on the left, he's extreme. Uh, and then, of course, there's also questions about his, his previous positions on issues, which is a whole other story. Then you've got folks like Cory Booker, who is every bit as wonkish as anybody else on that democratic stage. 
he's got plenty of years of connecting with voters, but for whatever reason, nobody's listening to him this time. And that's uh, disappointing in terms of how voters are approaching the primaries. Because potentially he's pretty centrist and somewhat exactly. tame in that regard. Um, uh, Emma, is this a generational vote and how will the Tories under Johnson remodel the UK? Well, Brexit is almost certainly going to happen now. I mean, 99.999% certain. Um, it's just what form that takes, whether Johnson goes for his deal, which is probably what he'll do get that through Parliament, that's quite a hard Brexit. The question then is that there is another cliff edge um, because he said he'll do it in a year and the deadline for that being obvious is next June. And if he doesn't take an extension because actually you can't do a trade deal in a year, it's insane, um, then we may end up with an even harder no-deal Brexit um, because he's made so many promises around that. And he apparently really hates the fact that he's a known liar. Um, and, you know, gets very cross about people saying that he lied with the bus and all of that stuff. Um, the bus that had £350 million a week to the NHS, which was just a brazen lie. Um, he will... Just on that yeah. point, Emma, just on that point, isn't that one of the key things that the Labour Party needs to take away from from this election and from the referendum, that the right wing have had very easily uh, understandable slogans, whether you believe in them or not, that 360-odd million quid a week to the NHS was just very easy to understand. You, you mm. vote this way, this is what's yeah. going to happen. To hell with actually whether it was achievable or not and get Brexit done was just a very simple slogan to understand. And it has to be said, um, obviously I'm a Remainer, but even I am getting was getting tired of constantly, you know, people talking about bloody Brexit when, when you just thought, well, it kind of needs to happen in terms of just understanding the democratic process. Something, and then, and even if you didn't believe that, you just thought we need to break this logjam. Yeah, I think a lot of people felt so, that way. Um, the problem is there is no get Brexit done. You know, with the, what, whether we uh, listen, a- absolutely, but it was this, it's a yeah, sloganeering. They, they are that, much, that's much better what, at sloganeering. Make, make America, America great, great again. Classic you know, example, the, absolutely. Um, the problem is, hmm. at the moment, the left aren't willing to be that calculating. Is probably the nicest way I can put it. That savvy at marketing. Let's put it that way. We're not that savvy at marketing our policies. Until we either learn to do that or the electorate changes. And, you know, no party ever wins by trying to change the electorate rather than trying to change the way that they talk to the electorate. Um, I don't know about that. The Republicans in, 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 was it Georgia? With all their uh, taking people oh, yeah, off uh, okay. voter rolls, they're I trying mean, to change the electorate. Literally changing but... the electorate, I suppose. I, I mean, changing the actual people <laughs> rather than just just telling them they can't vote. <laughs> no, sorry, I was being a smart ass. <laughs> I got your point. I got your point. Um, what now for momentum? Uh, that key component of uh, Jeremy Corbyn's uh, 
campaigning wing of the Labour Party, Emma? It's a really good question. Um, will they get behind a candidate? If they consolidate behind a candidate, that candidate probably wins. Then, fuck all. Sorry, um, you can edit that out. I do apologise. Um, I'm slightly cross today. <laughs> um, nothing will change. Um, and the Labour Party is basically dead and over. And I think that if the momentum candidate wins, quite a lot of the PLP will just take their toys and go home and either set up a separate organisation uh, and be, you know, the other Labour Party, or they'll just, just resign and just go and do something a lot more fun. So Alan Johnson basically said they can... F off with their student politics. Um, was he right then? I mean, to be fair to Momentum, they did a lot right overall. Like their campaigning skills are formidable, absolutely formidable. But they are too purist in their politics. They ran the 2016 leadership contest as if it were a cult. And it was all about protect lovely Jeremy. And that has poisoned the Labour Party political space for three years now. And if they try to do that again with another candidate, I don't think it will work as well, but it will probably work enough to push that candidate over the top as long as they promise to change absolutely nothing that has happened. And so much needs to change. I mean, not least, the first thing that's going to happen next year is the report of the EHRC onto institutional anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. That is going to be devastating. Mm. I mean, uh, the some of the some of the evidence has been leaked, and it's sorry, it's just it's just horrific. It just it is so difficult to read. And know that you're in the same party as those people and that those people think they share your values. And that just just makes you question everything that you've given your life to. Sorry. That's all right. That's all right. Um, we, we, we need to end up on this. And very obviously, the Labour Party needs to remake itself, reshape itself um fundamentally from from the ground up it needs to not just be a metropolitan readout for people that like uh, uh foreign language films and uh, and the, and the high arts but then <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and also it needs to get out this strain of anti-semitism out of the party Who's going to be the leader that's going to be able to do that? I'm going to run through the obvious runners and riders, and you just give me a give me a one a one line answer. Um, my poster boy, Keir Starmer. Oh, everyone's bloody poster boy, the mediocre white man. He's probably going to get it. Uh, Rebecca Long Bailey may well end up being the momentum candidate if it's a Rebecca Long Bailey versus Keir Starmer contest. That would probably go to Rebecca Long Bailey, but Keir Starmer's probably the candidate most likely to keep it from her. Fellow Brummy Jess Phillips. Is the one I think could do the job that's needed, which is, you know, fundamentally change the Labour Party, but also reconnect with the country. Emily Thornbury. 
too partial. You cannot transfer the leadership of the Labour Party from Islington North to Islington South. That just fundamentally <laughs> would crystallise everything that people think is wrong with the Labour Party. Lisa and Andy. So clever, so brilliant, um, so in the right seat. I don't think she'll win the membership um, because the Remainers are cross with her and the left across with her. And lastly, but definitely not least, Yvette Cooper. It's that generation that has to give give up the coast now. It's got to be a new generation. There's one you haven't mentioned. Who's that? Who have I missed out? Angela Rayner, who's been talked about forever. Oh, you know what? She's actually on the list. And I, I just skipped her <laughs> after Jess Phillips. I, I do apologise. Tell me about Angela Rayner. What do we need to know? I think Angela Rayner has the same qualities that Jess Phillips has, but is further to the left. So I think both of those could do that job that I'm talking about of both changing the party, Mm -hmm. but also connecting with the country. I think Keir Starmer can change the party and would do a very good technocratic job of that. But I don't know that he's the guy that can bring back Ashfield. No, he's not going to. He's not going to excite people on the ground, no. is he? But but I think you're. I think you're, you're. I think you're right. If anything, what you want is him as some kind of interim leader, whilst yeah, the, the party. The thing that the PLP do yeah. just just put him in as their interim leader and just say we're only listening to him from now on. I, I tell you what, I would like is perhaps a Jess Phillips, Angela Rayner leadership with a Keir Starmer deputy leadership role. Hmm. He does all the internal party stuff and they go out and talk to the heartlands. Not that I know uh, Angela Rayner and uh, Angela Rayner that well, hence, uh, and Rebecca Long-Bailey that well. But if we're looking at trying to combat what the Tories think that they have, which is somebody who connects with the average person, and what it seems like the election is telling us is that enough people like Boris Johnson that I think a little a, a politician who's very good at traditional retail politics, as the Americans would say, is exactly what's needed. Somebody who sounds like Britain. And I actually think that is Jess Phillips right now. She would be such a breath of fresh air on the British political scene. It's about time the Labour Party had a female leader. And then somebody with some nice black bowels who doesn't sound like they've come from um, some finishing school mm. and or isn't tainted by 70s, 80s radical politics. Yep. So the Daily Mail can just trash them all the time. Yep. So somebody who sounds like they go, they nip out to Tesco's and gets their shopping done. Yeah. And that is Jess Phillips. Agree. 100% agree. I mean, as I say, both Jess and Ange could do that job and I would be happy if either of them got it. Well, let's see uh, what twists and turns the Labour Party goes through in the preceding months, considering the Tories have a majority of some 80 seats in this historic and uh, generation-defining election. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync... 
things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Moving swiftly on, let's go over to the United States of America and Donald Trump, our favorite orange-skinned president. The resolution as amended is ordered reported favorably to the House. Members will have two days to submit views. The resolution will be reported as a single amendment in the nature of a substitute. Without objection, staff is authorized to make technical and conforming changes. Without objection, Mr. Committee Chairman, is adjourned. Mr. Chairman. And there you have it. History has been made. The House Judiciary Committee this morning voting along party lines 23 uh, to 7. 17 in both instances and the two articles impeachment against Donald Trump. There was some debate in this committee about how many articles to bring. They settled on two. Nine pages, the original document, um, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. Trump is likely to become the third president to be impeached, but he probably won't leave office. Doug, why? Because we have a fundamentally broken system on this side of the pond as well. It is discouraging to anybody who actually pays attention to what's going on in our government. And it bodes very badly for the future because the Republican Party, such as it is, appears to be committed to absolutely ignoring anything that possibly was done wrong by this president. And it's been bizarre watching and listening to the words of the lawmakers as they have debated the articles of impeachment. They're literally, it's not even a Rorschach test where people are seeing two different things. They're, using entirely different sets of reality. And the result is that nobody trusts anybody. Most of the voters are tuned out because they're confused and they don't understand why this is important. And very few people are truly standing up for principle and it's discouraging. Isn't that the genius, though, of... Trumpian politics is that um, doesn't matter what the evidence is, it, you know, the 
absolute audio evidence. It doesn't matter what the experts say um, who've listened in on the call. It doesn't matter what the whistleblower says. It doesn't matter what independent um, counsel actually says. You just go deny, deny, deny. It was a, it was a perfect telephone call, and you know you eventually you'll sow doubt in people's minds if doubt was even there at the start. It's the playbook that's been used in plenty of other historical episodes where you see people who in many cases are charismatic leaders who just make stuff up and say it enough times that it becomes the narrative. And I actually do fault my colleagues in the media for much of this because so frequently, and we really saw this during the 2016 campaign, but it still continues today where the president or one of his people will say something that is completely detached from facts. Yet the news media headlines focus on what was uttered and not what was fact. And I would prefer reporters to actually, and editors to actually look at, okay, what is the substance here? And sure, quote the president saying something completely different, but let's focus on the facts, not the outrageous statements. But that, I mean, if you watched any of the Judiciary Committee debate or whatever that actually was, you saw Republican politician after Republican politician playing to their Fox News audience and trying to be outrageous so that they would be the seven-second clip on the news. And that's not the way to govern any country. It's, I mean, without sounding like one of the absolute freaking nutters who are all over my timeline today, because I've happened to tell the truth, um, I, I do think the media have to ask themselves some very serious questions about how they cover politics. And perhaps they need a little less people like me, who are pine, and a little more people like Doug, who give facts. Um, and I think... I mean, the BBC had a really, really tough election, frankly. Um, and while they absolutely did not lose it for anybody, there is a wider question about the cosiness between senior sources and senior journalists. There are questions about, as Doug says, you know, if what gets you on the news is being the worst person, because it's, we don't consider it news anymore, we consider it entertainment, then we cannot have a democracy. That's just not how democracy works. Um, and, you know, that is a really fundamental question that needs to be both asked and answered by cleverer people than me. What will it take, Doug, for there to be a uh, charismatic dissenter on the Republican side, somebody who actually stands up and actually says, this president is broken. We're not talking about uh, Mitt Romney. Uh, we're, on, we're on about somebody who um, you're, let, let, let's be stereotypical about it, you're white, 
Appalachian um, Republican voting uh, American would actually turn around and say, hey, if they're if they're questioning this president, uh, maybe I should, too. Or I'll, or am I just whistling in the wind considering that there is an election in less, just less than a year's time and no one is going to put their head above the parapet? As much as I think you're whistling in the wind, I hope and pray that somebody steps up who we don't know yet. Uh, I mean, right now, uh, on the Republican side, I mean, Justin Amash, the member of Congress who came out against Trump over the Russia uh, whatever you want to call it, um, was ousted from the party, basically. So the Republican Party is no longer the Republican Party that it always was. And people have said this for the last two years, but now we really know that it's the Trump Party and that anybody who has conservative ideals doesn't belong there because Trump's policies are not conservative, except he's certainly packing the courts with conservative conservative judges. And that's why they forgive him everything, isn't it? It's all about the courts. Exactly. And it's exactly. it's completely it's it's greed. It's it's everything that the founding fathers of the United States fought against. And it's the undoing of our nation. I I'm actually very pessimistic right now and I'm usually an optimist. So I'm I'm it, it, well, Doug, come on. Let let all three of us are down <laughs> at, at the moment, and obviously, what we need is time for reflection, right? But I, I always say, at least I always think that left of center politics is fundamentally optimistic. It's all always about hope. It's always about changing things and making things better for uh, for the majority, for people who are who are the down pressed and whatever. So, like, uh, let's pick ourselves up off the floor, the pair of you, right? I'm I'm being uh, the headmaster now, right? Doug, what's going to happen next week in the House? Tell us quickly. So the uh, the House Judiciary Committee has now passed the two articles of impeachment uh, that will now go on to the House floor. They'll do some debate by all. All expectations are that uh, the House may very well vote by the end of next week. I know that we are going to see all kinds of parliamentary shenanigans hmm. and a lot of, uh, you know, playing to the TV audience. I think that uh, we should be watching Trump's Twitter feed because he's clearly not doing anything else right now. He set his own, he broke his own record for the most tweets in a day. And that's only going to get worse. And it's discouraging, but we've got to be paying attention. I don't understand how he's got the time to do that. Doesn't he have a country to to run and and the West to lead or something or another? How has he got the time to do 137 tweets? Uh, Emma, when's the last time you had enough time in your day to send out 137 tweets? Probably every day, to be fair. I'm never off Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. When was the last time you actually sent out 137 tweets? Not that you had the time to I mean, to to be fair, I send a lot of tweets. Um, 
Okay, so, but, so I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm aiming this question at the right, wrong person. I'm, I'm super online, and I need to sort that out a little bit because it's not great for my mental health, to be honest. Um, the mute button mm-hmm. has had an awful lot of work over the last 24 hours. Um, but <laughs> the thing is, I'm not president of the United States. I'm a freelance journalist who doesn't get enough work in December. So I have the time because I haven't got an article to write. I haven't got a contract to chase. I, you know, would I, I'd like to have less um, time to tweet. I don't feel it's right that these important people find time in their day to tweet so Mm -hmm. much. I don't like the people who just spend their entire time um, just going after each other. And I know I'm guilty of that and I try not to be, but it's not always easy, particularly at moments like this when you just see people being so ridiculous. Um, But I'm... Sounds to me, Emma. My New Year's resolution should be to tweet less. Mm -hmm. But wouldn't it be nice if we all had that resolution a little bit? I mean, I know you don't need it, Royfield. You only go on there to talk about the archers. Well, I actually did have a little bit of a bitch and, and a moan actually about the election when I saw that exit poll yesterday. So there were three political tweets from me and then I just thought, you know what, I'm getting out of this. And I went and had a nice meal with a friend. So uh, um, let's let's end up, because that sounded suspiciously like ta- like your takeaway of the week. That sounded somewhat semi-philosophical. Yeah, I think I mean, uh, so, the so let, let's, given that everything else is smashed a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's round this up and Doug I'm just going to come out with a, a statement by uh, a Washington Democrat uh, which is is any one of my colleagues willing to say that it is ever okay for a president of the United States of America to invite foreign interference in our elections and I just think that really fundamentally sums it up we we heard the recording there's no other way to spin it. Uh, senior uh, diplomats have said this is totally unprecedented. It is unprecedented. Um, it's utterly shocking that the party of the nation, of a loyalty, of the, of, of the flag that rallies around it can have such a venal charlatan um, as its leader and be slavish in its devotion to him. That's a statement from me. Uh, You end up by saying whatever you want to say, Doug, and then we'll go on to our takeaways of the last seven days. I I think that you've got it exactly right. We really are at a point where we expect our elected officials to step out of their campaign mode and be leaders. And being leaders sometimes means casting a vote that might not get you reelected in the past that used to be the way politicians behaved. And we have a president who began his reelection campaign literally the day he took office and he has conducted every single day in the oval office as if it is a nonstop campaign and the politicians subordinate to the president have followed the same thing. So 
nonstop campaign and never govern is a problem. We've got to fix it. You know, um, j- just on a, on a, the utterly last note, one be, being British and then looking at the whole American system, you realise that the constant campaigning is utterly put there to stop the governing of America. You know, this whole every two years there is an election and you can even elect a judge or, or a, the, the town dog catcher. It's completely to stop anything fundamentally ever being done. And um, we talk about the wisdom of the founding fathers, but this is definitely something which they, they designed and put in place so that it feels like it's constant accountability. But actually what it is, is constantly having to uh, suck up to vested interests and to people with large uh, checks uh, to r- run your campaign and, and then to be in hock to them uh, post the election if you ever get in. But anyway, moving swiftly on, let's be positive. Let's have our takeaways of the last seven days. It's that time when we need to be positive. And if ever we needed to be positive, it was after the results of the 2019 British election. So I'm going to leave you last, Emma, because I know you're still licking your wounds and uh, you've been doing media appearances and trying to explain what exactly has happened. So, Doug, you're our sunny person. You're the person who's going to pick everybody up off the floor, hit us with your take over the last seven days, sir. I am so excited that um, I, I, I don't want to give too much of a shout out to a commercial entity, but uh, many of us have Amazon devices that uh, have the voice assistant Alexa uh, in our homes or our cars, and we finally can have an alternate voice. Uh, Amazon is now opening up Alexa to certain celebrities. So you can now pay a little bit of money and have Samuel L. Jackson on your Alexa. I'm so happy about that. That's going to be so much fun, and I can't wait to see who else becomes available. There is one thing that you could get in Britain where you could text a number and it would read your text in the voice of Tom Baker, the fourth doctor. Um, and that was great fun. <laughs> I love this. And always for me, the Doctor Tom Baker, He's the the Doctor of my childhood. Though I do remember John Pertwee. I was just, more just, just, Tom just. Baker, Peter Davidson crossover, and I I got a very very soft spot for Peter Davidson. And then when David Tennant, who was my latter period Doctor, spoke to Peter Davidson, "You're my Doctor," mm. and then married his daughter, but that's a whole other thing. Um, it really got to me. <laughs> So my uh, Google Maps um, has the voice of a UK person. And of course, you, I, I forget it as I travel. And, and then people go, goodness, you know, all your apps sound posh. They, they, you know, they, you know when, when I'm in America and I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. You know, and um, the whole kind of British accent thing. When I'm over here, people think that I'm smarter than I really am because of this fixation. <laughs> I did have someone in a New York bar that I was 42nd in line for the throne, which in my little <laughs> lesson is a bit unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Emma, you're laughing now, so uh, you seem a little bit more chipper. So give us your take over the last seven days. Um, well, I am leaving this podcast, not permanently, just today, um, to go and volunteer um, for the Walthamstow Borough of Culture. Um, Our year of being the Borough of Culture is coming to an end. And 
so my takeaway is two things. One, the absolute joy and community that culture brings us. Walthamstow is a really strong community. We really care about where we live. People call it Awesomestow and nobody giggles at that because we Mm -hmm. actually love where we live. Um, And part of that is that we have this incredibly strong sense of culture. I went for a walk the other day with a friend and we just noticed there were about 20 murals just randomly scattered throughout the borough. You know, not really commented on, but they're just there. And, And that's Walthamstow all over. Everywhere you look, there's something. And then the other thing is the the sense that volunteering can bring to you. Um, it just, you know, when things are as dark as they are now, the fact that I'm going to go and volunteer with someone I met through this volunteering scheme, who's a Tory, and we get on like a house on fire. And actually, at the end of the day, that matters. So I think it's about just finding a way to give back, even when it's the hardest time of your life. That's my takeaway of the week. Um, my takeaway is just that I have a wonderful set of friends who um, I do call family in the United States. Very obviously, I have my family. Um, my mum and dad live in the UK, in Birmingham. Um, one daughter lives in London. Two of my kids live in Toronto. But I've had... A very special week. It was my birthday on Monday. Oh, happy birthday. And it started off by... Thank you, thank you. Um, I had a bit of a work do and then uh, then met some friends um, last Friday. Work do in that I'm a member of the American Independent Radio Producers uh, Organisation and uh, met with some of them. And then uh, Doug and some other friends ca- came along and... Um, it was really nice to see to see Doug in the flesh, considering we've been um, talking via this medium for off and on for about three years now. But then um, I just have a wonderful adopted American family. So uh, Vesna and Mia took me out for dinner on Monday. Uh, I also had breakfast and cake. Uh, Jen and I watched The Crown on on Tuesday with pizza and then Jeannie took me out to the Burma uh, Star in, in Oakland uh, for a lovely meal yesterday and then just in between people have sent me cards and just said do you want to do something do you want to hang out and I'm just utterly blessed to have uh, a group of people that even when I am literally 8,000 miles away from uh, the place where I grew up I still feel that I'm around people that love, care for me and uh, want to spend time with me so um, America and and friends is my takeaway of the week that um, it doesn't matter wherever you are, um, you know there are people that still care for you and, um, and look out for you so thank you to my friends for all the kindness and the loveliness that you've shown me in the last week. Uh, Emma, uh, let's go to you. Uh, how can people find you on the socials, even though you need to cut it down? <laughs> I'm Emma Burnell underscore on Twitter. Smashing. Doug, um, how about you? And um, tell us about a, a wine we should be imbibing over the weekend. 
Ooh, that's a tough call. Uh, there's so many good wines. I highly recommend uh, the Bubbly from Cartograph Cellars in Sonoma. Has been getting some very deserved attention, and that uh, would probably be my pick. And this is the holiday season, so Bubbly is always a good idea. And folks can find me on Twitter. I am at SFDoug. And you can find me on Twitter if you want badly spelt, grammatically incorrect tweets, fundamentally really about the archers or about what I'm doing today as opposed to politics by simply going onto Twitter and typing in Royfield, which is R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D. Um, and then also we implore you to go on to uh, SpeakPipe on midatlanticshow.com and to hit that SpeakPipe tab and to answer any of the points which any or any three of us have actually made on this week's episode and especially if you are happy that uh, the Tory party have romped home to an 80 seat majority definitely would like you to call in and explain why and why you think this is um, the right path for Britain going forward so if you are uh, a right voting uh, citizen of the United Kingdom uh, please call in and uh, let's have a conversation let's have a debate about that on the next episode of Mid-Atlantic. That's been us licking our wounds, but always being positive. The Labour Party is going to remodel itself. Jess Phillips is going to be its next leader. We'll hear <laughs> it here first. Bye-bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.